Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. So you probably heard this. You can't be gay and God will still love you. Or maybe you've heard this. Yes, you can be gay, but just don't act on it. And one of the favorites is, well, you can be gay, but you're going to go to hell. But maybe what you haven't heard is you can be godly, but gay. That's what we're talking about today as we are pre-entering into Pride Month. We're just a couple of weeks out from it. And I felt like it'd be really powerful that if you felt any of those emotions, that you can't be gay and be Christian, you can't be gay and have a relationship with God, you can't be gay and show up in church, well, it's all a bunch of bullshit. Because you can be godly and gay. And that laughter you heard in the background was God laughing at all of that. No, actually, it was my buddy, Joel, who is joining me once again for a podcast. I think you are actually here, Joel, as like the person who's done the most podcasts with me, honestly. Three times. It's good to be hosting SNL again. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. But um, Joel (laughs) is here to talk about his book, Godly But Gay. I'm so excited for this man. You and I have talked about, you know, all the different things you've done with Joel Speaks Out and um, Joel Barrett, my buddy, we've, I don't even know, probably what, four years now we've known each other, maybe five. It has been a while. Yeah. But, um, and now here you go with this book that's been percolating in there for years, ever since you were even probably on the pulpit, it was percolating there, man. So um, congrats, buddy. Thank you. Thank you. It has been a long time coming and uh, I... Sent out an email a while back about kind of promoting it, and the subject line was, "You didn't think I'd ever do it, did you?" <laughs> oh, there's so much in that that headline right there. <laughs> For most of us, I, I didn't think I'd ever come out of the closet. I didn't think I'd ever. Well, you know, we didn't think I'd ever bottom or whatever. You know, there's so much going on in that. But um, so what finally, like, finally, like, kicked you in the butt, man, and said, "Okay, I'm gonna get it done." Well, it's been something I've always known I was to do just kind of that, like, this is supposed to happen. Um, And then I've been writing for years, but kind of came to that point. You've probably relate to this where I just felt like I was swimming in a sea of words and writings and, you know, (laughs) going, ah, how am I ever going to get this into some kind of cohesive form? And, but I was like, this is the year I've got to do this. And uh, I, I did hire a friend of mine as a manuscript developer, creative consultant, and she was amazing. In fact, I think she was on your show once, Natasha Ria Elskari. Oh, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. yeah. Nat- Natasha um, helped me find that cohesion that I needed. Um, because it's hard when you're writing about yourself because everything feels like potentially it should be in the book (laughs) and you have to kind of go, well, which part of this doesn't belong here and what part of my story do I want to cover? So, um, and that's so painful. That is the most painful part of doing these. Yeah. You know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And you're like, I don't know. Should I talk about that or is that not important? And, 
but I feel really good about the book um, and where it's at. I feel like it, it, you know, I'm sure you have this. Every once in a while, I'll think of something. I go, oh, wow, I didn't put that in the book. Why didn't I put that in the book? You know? yeah. But um, I feel good about uh, the message that's there, um, what I've been able to communicate. And you mentioned the title. So if you don't mind, I want to jump, jump right into the title. Yeah. Um, ever since I've this title came to me so many years ago, and every time I mention it, people are like, well, wait a minute, that title doesn't seem right. Shouldn't it be godly and gay, not godly, but gay? And um, I love that that always stirs the controversy because it's it was chosen for a very specific reason. And that was, it represents the uh, contradictory nature of the world that I was in for so many years is yep. that no, you could not. I was considered this good, godly Baptist preacher who was respected by many and looked up to and i knew the whole time that at the moment anybody found out i was gay none of that would matter anymore because you could never be both you could not yep. be godly and gay you could be you had to choose mm -hmm. and it was a weird thing that i used to contemplate i'm like it's so weird that i can be doing all of this right stuff that everybody loves and respects and everything but if they knew this one thing about me it would all just be come crashing down and be discounted so that is the premise behind the title. It's very important that people understand that in my life, no, you could not be godly and gay. So it's always like, I'm godly, man, but I'm gay. Right. And it is an interesting title. And as I have watched, <clears throat> kind of watched you kind of go through this through the years, and it's not like we ever talked like, oh, this godly, you know, and or but gay book needs to come out. I just knew there was like this book there and we've talked about it numerous times. Cause when you were, you were kind of with me as mine came out and like, okay, you know, here's where we're, you know, and, and even as mine came out, I was like, Oh, but what if I, and what if I, and like, you just got to let it go. And even as I'm doing book number two right now, it's like, okay. And I'm, I'm crawling through it, but because I've taken this one to a different format and it's, it's really for the like, true like masses that everybody has closets so to speak mm -hmm. it makes it even worse because now there's not a focus focus group so to speak but yet there are there this the book is really about like the person who wants to unapologetically live their life so there's the gay twins that's going to come out so um but i feel for where you are because it is that like it's like giving birth not yeah, that not that us gay men know about that, but we probably do in some other ways that we won't talk about during this conversation. But so as you started like going, okay, this is happening. This is happening. I'm curious if you went through what I went through, man, there were days that just doing the book fucked with me, opened up old wounds, made me angry Made me happy, made me sad. All of that showed up. There were some. There were some moments. I'll tell you where it showed up is in my my sleep. Mm. Um, my dreams started taking place in the past. I, I dream a lot. I wish I didn't, and I always remember my dreams, which makes me feel like I live in a movie all night long. Mm. And um, I don't like it, but they weren't necessarily sometimes stressful, but not necessarily. It was just that they were started taking place in my old ministry days. And so they were just stressful in the sense of like, Oh, I don't want to be back there. You know, um, 
there were times when I think it affected me a little bit more than I realized, but I would just be worn out. Not so much like I feel like I've really healed from any trauma in my life from that period of those periods of time. Yeah. So it wasn't like, oh, reliving the pain. But at the same time, I could just be like, oh, man, that was a lot of having to think through how was I feeling in that moment and what was happening. And so there would just be kind of a fatigue that could be associated with it more so than a pain. Um, and it also just made me go back and kind of just reflect on a lot and how, well, here's where, here's the biggest revelation from a wreck is the biggest revelation is as I wrote about all my experiences with the conversion therapy, because the subtitle of the book is um, a story of contradictions, conversion therapy and coming out. Yeah. So as I wrote about the conversion therapy piece, which in some ways I think I've under all my life, I've been like, ah, eh, that's what it was. You know, I got through that, you know, kind of a bunch of nonsense, but during writing, I realized what a bunch of bullshit that was. Mm -hmm. And like realized how crazy it sounded as I'm writing it and going, this is just nuts. Like at the time I accepted it because I was just trying to get through it and I thought right. it was going to be the solution. So in writing about it, I realized, no, this is fucked up that somebody would do this to me, you know? So that was a big revelation for me in a, a moment, just kind of an aha, like, yeah, no, Joel, this was really fucked up. Don't, don't downplay it. It is really interesting when you finally have that moment or moments mm -hmm. and anybody who's listened to this podcast has heard me say this. I know Joel has heard me say this, you know, I just kind of like, okay, well, this is what happened. You know, I, yeah, I went to the pastor. I didn't go through, I didn't go through like the deeper conversion therapy. It was more the conversation sort of stuff. Of course it didn't work. And cause number one, he was really, really hot. So that was just like, yeah, you know, whatever, that's not going to work for me. But the more secondary piece of it, which, you know, as I even said, secondary piece of it is the sexual trauma that I went through as a kid with somebody older. And for many, many years, I've like, yeah, that's just what happened. And I do say I don't approve of what happened, but it actually was the light bulb that made me realize, OK, I kind of get it now. I kind of get like at like four three four five years old i was always very fascinated with men and like the hairs on their chest and the bulges in their crotches and all this sort of stuff beyond what i believe is the normal little boy like oh that's interesting what's that mm -hmm. and then about two years ago maybe i had a very powerful conversation that I didn't anticipate having with my mother. And she really broke down and she goes, I'm so sorry I didn't protect you. I'm so sorry I didn't take what happened more serious. And that was the first time I was like, yeah, why didn't you? Mm -hmm. Even though I'm still very cool with, okay, I, it kind of helped me figure this out, even though at 36 years old when I really figured it all out, it, that thing helped me get there, but it's a similar pattern. I feel like to what you talk about in the book where you suddenly come together in your own mind with, I don't have to like necessarily go, I can either be this or this. I can be both things. Mm -hmm. I don't have to be the victim of sexual quote. I don't call it abuse 
that's what a lot of people like to call I, I call it sexual trauma that I didn't have to go through. Mm-hmm. And even trauma to me is kind of a hard thing to call it. It was a sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. That's the term I like to use the most. But there's also this biblical awakening that I feel like I went through, which I think is what you're kind of saying in what you do with your book. Uh, wait, <laughs> bing, the light bulb goes off that I can be both these things. Yeah, yeah. There's not a contradiction. Uh, right. We're just told that. That's a, that's a, that was the message of my life is that uh, I would, could never be enough. I knew that I was, I had this thing. I mean, I've always knew I was gay from a young age. I didn't use that language, but I sure. knew. And it didn't take me long. And I outlined this in the book. Some of the things that, well, everything I heard was from the church. It was from the pulpit. And yep. And I started learning, it was, I saw preachers, you know, mocking gay men or like, I can still remember the day sitting in that pew in a small church and the preacher saying, we should ship them all off to an island somewhere and let them infect themselves with disease and die. Hmm. You know, and I'm sitting there as like, I don't know, maybe an 11, 12 year old boy feeling like picturing myself on that boat of people being shipped to an island and left to die, you know? Mm, yep. So you learn at a long, young age that, <clears throat> okay, I can't be both. So then it's this trying to choose, trying to hide, always knowing though that I'll never ever, if it, I'm never enough, I can never mm-hmm. be complete. Yep. And yep. Um, that, that weighs really heavy on the human psyche. And I quote Maya Angelou in the book and one quote, but I can't get it exact, but basically she says something about there's no greater burden than carrying a story untold. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not the exact word for word, but that's the but general gist of it. You got and, it almost hundred percent right, man. I, I know that quote. And it's, it, and it's like, Oh, that so resonated with me the first time I read that quote years ago. Cause I'm like, yeah, that was my life was this story that I couldn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then from the people in my life who were my, the authorities, the spiritual leaders, the people who were telling me if I was ever going to be successful or whatever that meant, you know, I had to live this and I couldn't be that and me going, what am I supposed to do? And so that contradiction, just living with that constant contradiction all the time of knowing that I was a really good person. Like it's, it's, it's weird to have people because I was a good person kid i was a good man you know like people liked me respected me loved me uh listened to me so on and so forth and so like i knew i was a good person like i knew i was somebody that other people looked up to and yet that constant fear that but if they ever find out all of that is just gone in an instant and i mean and it proved to be true even throughout life that even when I was going to get help, so-called help through conversion right. therapy, they started dropping like fry, flies during that, <laughs> which I'm always like, that doesn't make any sense. So mm-hmm. here's somebody saying, I have a problem. I'm getting help for this problem. And you're going to forsake them then. Yes. You know, and, it's, uh, it's so interesting to see how that whole thing happens. And, you know, you came, I mean, I, we both came from very fundamental Christian backgrounds, different churches, but pretty much the fire and brimstone go to hell sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yet, as you were just now talking through this, Joel, the one, 
the one thing that always comes up for me, well, two things, actually, <clears throat> it wasn't so much the sitting in church that was there too. And maybe I've just made, and I, as you were talking about, it, I'm like, maybe I've locked that all out. Maybe the church stuff and the faith stuff. And maybe that part for me, I kind of blocked out until I actually said to my parents in college that I was gay. But the two things, instances that stick out in my mind the most is my mother's mother, seven day Adventist farm wife, oldest bitch in the world. I mean, loved her, but man, she was just rigid and frigid and everything. And I'll never forget one time standing in her kitchen and she was talking about some farmer or farmer's son or somebody who had come through and she goes, well, you know, he's just one of those kind of fancy in the pants sorts. And I was like, what does that mean? But of course, as soon as I asked the question, I got shut down. You don't need to know because you don't need to understand what that's all about. And then my dad's oldest brother, who was gay, which we've talked numerous times on this podcast about that. Every time he and his friend <laughs> were around the family, oh, they loved them because they were fabulous. They were great cooks. They, they bought everybody great presents and all this sort of stuff. Because they were, they were the A-list gays in San Francisco at the time they were both alive. and um, But this moment they would walk out of the room or we'd have these big family get-togethers and, and they'd go into the community hall kitchen to kind of start doing the thing they did so well. Everybody was snickering behind their back and like, oh, you know, they're just, you know, they're so fancy. I'm like, you love their fancy. Get over it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's these interesting messages that then we bring them forward but every one of those people was so godly. They were so godly, you know? And that to me is where the big contradiction always resonated in my mind. And as I came out in college, that's when I had the first, like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. Not about being gay, which was really what, what it ended up being about. But the first, I can't do this is I can't have a relationship with this kind of God. Yeah. If this is what this is all about, not just about the being gay, but if this is what the contradiction, you can't do this and you can't do this. And he's looking at you and he's going to burn you in hell. I can't do this. And that's when I left the church. Mm -hmm. I just like, I'm done. Yeah. Because it, I couldn't do this. And it's so painful. And I know there's going to be people listening as pride month is happening here and about to happen that have gone through this. Maybe they're on the verge of this. And from your perspective, Joel, how would you help them come to some reconciliation in their own mind about godly but gay? Besides buying your book, please go buy Joel's book. <laughs> JoelSpeaksOut.com. Yeah, JoelSpeaksOut.com. Rick's going to give you a couple of books, too, if you just keep listening. But um, what, what would be like, and I know we don't have like all the time in the world, but I know there's something there that you can definitely give to them that's like here here's the first step well you'll see in the book a lot of people make the assumption by reading the title like i've gotten lengthy emails where people somehow think i'm still in ministry that i am still very religious and it's either they think just because the two words are on there that i've found like the, the happy place of all of this 
or the most well it's the thing. island where we all go to live you know that's where the godly but gay people go we exactly. all live on one island and disease ourselves to ask, death. like so where are you today and i would tell people look i am not anti-religion i'm not anti-god i'm not anti-spirituality because we are spiritual beings yep what i am anti is being a part of any kind of religion or spiritual community that in order to get you to conform has to tear you down and tell you that you're broken and sinful and if you're a part of things like that that is not helping you as an individual that is using fear and shame to control you and to get you to act the way you want to do Mm -hmm. by all means please leave that but there is a world out there of spiritual meaning that you can find there Mm -hmm. are open and affirming churches there are a wide array of religions and spiritual communities and um, find those. I, I no longer identify as a Christian. Um, I, in the book, I talk about that. I identify as a faithist and I unpack what that term means. And it's a beautiful, peaceful place because I'm at peace with who I am, where I am, the biggest thing that I have found comfort in is not knowing the uncertain. Like that was something that was very foreign to me. I grew up in a very black and white kind of environment, you know, not only did everybody need to believe in the one true God, you had to be in the right church that worshiped the same one true God. You know, there were all these churches that claimed to worship the one true God, but you know, we were fundamentalist Baptists and the Catholics certainly weren't going to have. Oh no, the Catholics are like, they're the, they're the mark of the beast. You know, and uh, you name, you know, so it was like, it just kept getting narrower and narrower and narrower. And so when I finally got comfortable with going, you know what, I don't know all of this stuff and that's okay. And I realized that if a God um, is that big that, you know, whatever this God is that, loves us, all of these kinds of things. Um, I have to be cool with the fact that if that God wants me to know something, that God is powerful enough to let me know what that is. Mm -hmm. And if they are going to not tell me, then they're not big enough to be my God. Yep. And so it's like, it's okay to just not know and to live in that and to enjoy the beauty of going... You know, if we understood every single thing right now, then something's wrong with that because we're not that smart. Right. (laughs) And what would be the joy of it? Yeah. You know, what would be the absolute joy of knowing every single thing? You know, my husband and I went, got away a couple of weekends ago to Los Angeles just to like, okay, things are opening back up we just need to get away. I love where we live, but it's like, we need to get away and, and just do. And it was for his birthday. And, and I planned everything and I didn't, I didn't even let him know till like the day before, okay, we're leaving. Here's what you need to wear. You know, just one outfit. That's all, <laughs> you know, one outfit, one jock strap. That's all you get. Okay. No, I'm kidding. But it was kind of, it was so interesting to watch him just be okay with the uncertainty, you know? And even not that every little detail was planned, but even me like, okay, I don't know how well this is going to go down, but you know, not that I did plan anything super extreme, but there were a couple of things that had to kind of like click together to make it happen. Right. Mm -hmm. And I saw how 
okay, Rick, but if it doesn't happen quite that right, just be okay with that. I was fighting the uncertainty so much. But what I know, and I'm so glad you brought this up, Joel, is when I just relish the uncertainty, oh my God, I'm so much more relaxed. I'm just kind of like, yeah, fuck it, whatever. You know, let's just see what happens. And I know, I don't know if, because you and I have some similarities in a couple other areas besides being beautiful, handsome, white, bald guys. Um, we both have had some medical stuff. You had, you know, heart stuff go on. I had a stroke. And I remember after coming out of the stroke, I was like, well, that sure wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was when I actually, it was about three months later after the stroke and going, I can't do this. I can't keep trying to have to know everything that's going on. I can't keep driving myself and I can't, it's like, I even got off of my antidepressants because I'm like, okay, I feel so much better because I'm like surrendering, so to speak. And I think this is the power of surrendering to you don't have to be, but in church, you don't have to be following some, I'm going to say it radical, you know, methodology and religion to have some belief system. You can just believe. And boy, do I piss people off when I say, well, yeah, I, I believe there's something greater than me. Well, why don't you say God? I said, I don't know, because maybe I just believe there's something greater than me. I don't have to say the G-O-D word, right. even though I don't, I don't dislike God. Don't get me wrong. But I, sometimes I do that just to antagonize people. So there's my true confession. But Nobody can prove or disprove anything beyond what we know right now. Oh, that's not true. The Catholics can, the Baptists can, the... You know, I mean, the truth is just that way. Like, you can believe what you want, but the truth is the only thing we know for certain is what we're experiencing right here in this moment. Yep. Yep. And people don't like that because it feels uncertain. Mm -hmm. Um, But I find beauty in the gray, and I'm happy to to live there and just let let life be. And I feel like, um, you know, faith is, if you can explain everything about faith and it's not really faith it doesn't require any faith Mm -hmm. because you've answered it all and so for me i put all of my faith 100 to the test yep and so in the book i have a letter an open letter to the church that i wrote um about okay you said this i tried it Mm -hmm. you know and i often smile to myself when i think about just all that I went through to try to be who they wanted me to be. And then when I finally stopped, and of course, you know, it was this, they used to quote this verse, I think it's out of Hebrews about, it refers to Moses about enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And we would use that as a warning to, Mm -hmm. oh, sure, you can go out and enjoy your sin for a little bit. There's pleasure in it, but it's for a season and that season is going to end. And, you know, then the doom is going to happen. And I'm like, well, you know what? I've been blessed with a very long season. Yes. (laughs) And he's not talking about what's between his legs. Just go in there. Okay. He, he had to say it, but he opened the door for that one. But it is interesting because, you know, as you were just talking through that, that whole season thing. So again, here's the parallel. I've heard that many times throughout my journey until one time somebody said that to me and I was at just the right mood to go, well, but what if my season's the right season and yours isn't? Mm-hmm. Boy, they didn't know what to do with that. 
I'm like, who gets to determine what the right pleasure season is? And boy, they got quiet and they got mad, which is fine. (laughs) It's funny how they always get really mad. It's like, well, you can't, you know, and it's like, okay, I got this relationship where, Hey, if I'm wrong, I guess the, you know, big guy, gal upstairs is going to prove me wrong. But this uncertainty thing, and maybe it's because before we came on to like, you know, start recording this, I was like, Ooh, theater season's opening back up. What's, I just got an email about, okay, here's what's everything that's happening at the Pantages in Hollywood. But it's interesting. Like we will go sit in a movie theater. We will go sit in a theater production. We will go to an amusement park, never having ridden that roller coaster all of those things are uncertain. We don't know what's going to happen in the movie. We don't know what's going to be with this new musical. We don't know how this new roller coaster ride is going to. We don't know anything until we've done it. But oh my God, we can't be uncertain about whether there's a God or not, or whether this is really true. Oh, we can't do that. Well, yeah. excuse the fuck out of me. You had faith enough to go get on that roller coaster. You had faith enough to go pay $190 to sit in the back row of Hamilton to see if you liked it. I mean, let's get real, folks. This uncertainty crap we like to pull on ourselves as Christians, you sure do a whole hell of a lot else in your life that's uncertain. And I always say, you know, I find church in quotation marks. uh, He did the quotation marks just because you can't see him. He does them very well. He does his air quotation marks really well. I find church in unexpected places with unsuspecting Mm -hmm. people. And Mm -hmm. when I have been someplace and my spirit has been fed, I consider that church yep and i used to think that that was something magical supernatural that could only happen behind the doors of a particular congregation or something and it took me a long time before i realized oh i've had that happen in a gay bar you know i've had that happen um just in unexpected encounters while shopping or you know who knows it's just like but i know that when my spirit is fed i'm like wow that was beautiful. I needed that. Mm-hmm. And, and when you let go of when and where that can happen and how it can happen and everything else, and you just start acknowledging that, you know, life will take care of itself. You're, you, if you're looking, you're open to those opportunities, you're going to find those moments where you're just as spiritually fed. And, yes. and some people do need to go be a part of a community. I get that. I understand yes. that completely. And I'm, I support that. I just, support them finding one that is open, welcoming, affirming to who they are and not saying here, here's the rules. This is the one, this is the only one, but it's interesting too, because over the last year of this beautiful little Petri dish of the pandemic that we have lived in and continue to live in that whole, Oh, but you can't tell me that I can't go worship in my church and everything. I just was like, if that's how you define God, I really feel for you. Yeah, that was, I, that I was get it that you ironic. want the social thing, but that, if that's that the was, only place God shows up for you, what yeah. a sad state of your faith. The, the irony of that, after having grown up in that kind of stuff all the time and talking about how that God is with you everywhere and where two or three are gathered and so on and so forth, then all of a sudden, no, we all have to be together in the same spot. Like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, but and, and, if, and if you're, if you're um, oh, what's his name? The big mega church guy in Houston, Joel. Uh, yeah, Joel Olstein. Olstein. Oh, you you know, he needed a $4 million PPP loan or whatever because that's what it needed to keep his church together. You know, it's really, 
we could go off on that too, but <clears throat> we won't. But that, that does go back to a lot of the contradictions that are built yes. into mainstream religion and, uh, and the damage that it does. I, my book was reviewed by, I don't know if you're familiar with John Polk. Um, he was uh, really kind of the, I he probably wouldn't appreciate me saying this. I call him the show pony of the ex-gay movement. You know, mm -hmm. whenever they wanted to trot out the success story, it was John Polk and his wife. And she was the next lesbian. He was the next gay man. The focus on the family was always all about them and everything. And of course, John is now out and living happy as a gay man and a wonderful guy. And we're uh, friends, acquaintances. And so I asked him to, to read part of the book, to write a little blurb and, he called me and he was like, Joel, I, I feel like that some of what you're saying in this is that some of the greatest damage done in your life was not through conversion or ex-gay therapy, but through your religious upbringing. And yep. I was like, yeah, I'd say that's correct. <laughs> now, unfortunately, it was the religious upbringing that led me to even get into ex-gay therapy at all. You know, mm -hmm. because it was that desire again to please God. I've got to figure out how to do this. I got to figure out how to fix this part of me. And then what was happened in XK therapy was just built upon the same religious foundation of brokenness. I mean, I always hated the fact, even when I was in it, and I spent three years in XK therapy, um, like they would call us strugglers. We're all struggling. I'm like, what a defeatist thing to say. I don't want to exactly. be called a struggler you know, and then you're broken, right? struggler, and all of this kind of stuff. And while it was well-meaning, and there are actually some things that I gained about learning about myself as a result of it, I'm not crediting them. It was just kind of that unexpected byproduct of, of focusing on yourself for a little bit. But it was only afterwards, really much later, where I went, like I said earlier, it's like, man, what a bunch of bullshit that was, you know, sitting in a counselor's office and you know in sport spiritual warfare you know like binding the spirits of confusion and you know these kind of just praying 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 and just stuff like that and um it it, it it's just uh it's a shame what we put ourselves through in order to really ultimately conform or for that security that we think we can only have when we know we've done the right things, we followed the rules. Yeah. Hmm. Follow the rules. Yeah. I always choose a word or a theme for each year. And uh, for, sometimes I don't always follow by, uh, do well with it. But this year, my, my theme was in the spirit of Rufus Wainwright's, Wainwright's uh, latest album, unfollow the rules. And that mm. has been my theme this year. And for me, that means letting go of whatever the rules are and not worrying about what should I do? What's, you know, what do people want me to do? But just like, there are no rules. I can do what I want. As there should be, Yeah, you know, and, you know, I always love the people that like to take us down that path. Well, it's the life you're choosing. Hmm. Well, last I heard in my religious upbringing is God gave us the power of choice. So what's everything else you're choosing? You choosing those breast implants, you choosing that facial reconstruction, you choose, who are you trying to be? Uh -huh. I'm not choosing this because I'm trying to be gay. <laughs> Trust me, most of us, well, I don't know, now that I'm, 
now that I've chosen, I really love it, but, um, you know, it's such an interesting, well. yeah, it suits me well. It fits me well. And I get to be a bitch when I want to be a bitch. So, um, not that most the right wing Christians can't do that too, but they just don't see it that way. But, um, it's such an interesting, fascinating thing because if you allow yourself to open the mind and to look at what has been done in this conversion therapy to the LGBTQ community, everything. And I know that you can really resonate with this, Joel, because you're also <clears throat> partnered to a black man. It is nothing different than the slavery. It's the same crap, just a different rapper. And then you take it and you take what's going on right now with our, you know, Asian Pacific people and all of that. It's the same thing. You don't fit the mold. You don't fit the mold. And because you don't fit the mold, you're ruining my life. Really? Well, it's, it's, yeah. We have as humans are always people that do want to enslave others to whatever their school of thought is way of believing. And usually I, I, this struck me few years ago, me and some colleagues were doing what we called cult lunch. Mm -hmm. And we would take lunch together and watch a short cult video about some cult. Yeah. And, um, and I thought, oh, that would be interesting. And so yeah. after about five or six of those, I was like, two things jumped out at me. One, I was a part of cult. <laughs> two, all cults are about three things, money, sex, and power. Yep. Yep. And, and it was like, but I was just struck by the similarities. I'm like, well, this is the same. It was just the same story over and over again, just different characters, different scenes and locations. But the core of it was really about money, sex, and power. And a lot of times when I look at anybody that's trying to enslave others to their way of thinking, that's what it comes down to. Yes. Yep. And it may not be all three, but most of the time it is. Yeah. Some you portion. Know. If you dig deep enough, you, you yeah. uncover you yeah. know, the debris, you'll find it like, ah, there it is. Yep. Yep. And it's so interesting when I've used the, um, so let me, let me understand how me crawling in bed with my husband at night is affecting your life. Mm -hmm. Well, it's just, it's a sin. Really? So you're you're laying in bed at night thinking about me and my husband laying in bed at night? Because I sure the hell I'm not thinking about you and your wife laying in bed at night. So honestly, you're hung up on something about me that you think that by doing this, you're going to have the power to get into heaven taken away from you when you really should be having sex with your own spouse. So there we go. You know, let's figure this whole thing out. It's such an interesting way to like unravel and, and get people into their own BS when really all we want to do, any of us, even the weirdos on the planet, any of us is we just want to be embraced for who we are. Now it does get messy when who you are is just really radical wing nuts, but it's, it's such an interesting thing that if you strip away everything, all any of us want is just to be able to do what we do, period. Well, and I've always found it interesting that religious beliefs, which are 100% chosen, like you aren't born with any religious beliefs. This is not some anything inherent. You somehow take precedent over 
things that are not at all chosen, like just being who you are and who you right. love. And I'm like, I understand this. You're always talking about it's a choice. I'm like, well, your religion, your belief system is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know anybody that. that popped out of the womb. Like I'm a Catholic. Of course they might think they were, but just because you're born that there's still a choice to decide that, yeah. you know, unfortunately I think the the biggest challenge in the religious sphere is people don't realize for most of us we weren't given a choice the choice was predefined for our family unit this is what you're going to be raised as yes at some point along the way i made the decision to get baptized as a seventh-day adventist but i didn't really do it out of choice i did it out of pressure and this is what i'm supposed to do obligation so to speak yeah, yeah. i mean i even remember it happening and the, the the euphoria that okay i've done this i didn't really understand what i just done i did it didn't really think i've changed anything i like the fact that the way we did it you know you put on something that looked like a choir robe and you were naked underneath i'm like oh well that was kind of fun but you know other than that i'm like i didn't really feel this and i remember family members going oh we're so proud of you. Oh, well, I kind of like that little stroke. Oh, now you're part of the rest of the family. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't part of the rest of the family. But okay, whatever, you know. It's, it's just such an interesting journey we go on. And again, as we are in this space of, you know, a lot of celebration, whatever that looks like this year for Pride, I, I hope whoever's listened to this really takes to heart that just like being gay, you can be who you want to be in your faith and in your religious practice. Because it's if you a, don't, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, it's just, if you don't do that, you're actually back in another closet. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a contradiction. No. It, it doesn't have to be godly, but gay. It can be godly and gay. And um, that's what I discovered. And you have to read the book to figure out where I land on all of that journey. Right. But I open every chapter with a prayer. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is an interesting juxtaposition. And I know that I would say I enjoy making people uncomfortable. Um, and so I know that a lot of people are like, wait a minute, what, how, how does all that fit? And it's like, that's a good question. Yeah. Read the book and you'll find out. Yeah. You know, you would have been really smart, man, to like do one run of godly, but gay and godly and gay. You get twice the mileage, you know, for those who are going to fuck up the title, you know, every time they talk about it, but, um, so I'm so, again, happy for you, man. I'm so glad you're bringing this to the world. And I know you'll be really happy when you start seeing people talking about it and, you know, already getting the accolades that you're getting. And um, thanks for having that kind of impact, buddy, in the world. Well, thank you, Rick. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed and happy to know you. I don't even remember now how we originally got connected. Um, I don't either. It, and we trust us, folks. It was not in the dark hall of a bar somewhere. It wasn't there. <laughs> it we was actually never met. Or, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was. No. And, uh, um, we, yeah. we, Joel and I were on you know, stone tablets trying to connect You know, <laughs> at the time that we probably would have even been able I to. Do, I do have a great portion in the book where I talk about cruising culture that I, how I formed. And so there's a it gets pretty dicey in places. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you that. I'm sure but, it does. I'm sure um, it does, man. But no, thank you for having me on again. And thank you for the work that you're doing because, you know, I, I just, there's, there's sometimes in the work, especially that you and I do, 
we have to remember that there is a whole world out there watching us that may not ever say anything because they're too afraid to. They may never comment on something we do, but they're watching. They are. Yep. And, and even if they're watching and they're not saying anything, they are taking it in. Yeah. I, I, I get people coming to my men's work and my chats that I do twice a month. And if there's anybody listening, who's like wanting to come out as a man, sorry, I, it's not that I don't like women. I got to make this clear. This is just where I focus my work, but there is a coming out group that we do the third Monday of each month. You're welcome to join. You can find that on the website, but um, it's always interesting to hear from these guys who show up into my work yeah, I've been listening to you for, you know, years. Like, well, let's not go too far down that years. I haven't been around that long <laughs> doing this shit. But, um, or I've read your book and and they're like, yeah, I finally I finally decided it was time to make the, the move to either connect or start the journey or whatever. And mm -hmm. I know there will be beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stories that are going to come out of <clears throat> this book getting released into the world. And the ones that aren't beautiful, well, they just need to go live on an island and infect themselves with their <laughs> shit. So, um, but, um, and for those of you listening, I kind of alluded to it. Um, if you send me a little email um, to rick at rickclemens.com after listening to this podcast, two of you will get Joel's book sent to you by me. So first two that get to me are the ones that'll get the book. And yes, autographed I, as well. And then we'll get autographs. So there you go. Thanks again, buddy. So appreciate you. And so appreciate you being in the world the way you are. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate you too. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end. And it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves, and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.